This is Season 3, Episode 3 of the Language Mastery Show with Anthony Mativier. Here's a little sample of what's coming up. Evolution itself has kept these techniques around because they work, because they're extremely efficient, because they're so joy-inducing once that you get it. Welcome back to the Language Mastery Show. This is your host, John Fotheringham. In today's episode, I chat with Anthony Mativier, who is the founder of the Magnetic Memory Method, the host of the Magnetic Memory Method podcast, and the creator of the Magnetic Memory Masterclass. He's used his memory techniques to learn a number of languages, including Biblical Hebrew, German, Mandarin Chinese, and Sanskrit, and he's now taught thousands of other people how to accomplish the same using the same techniques. I really enjoy that he combines both proven ancient principles with modern brain research, and that unlike some other memory masters, he focuses on practical application instead of just impressive but ultimately useless applications like memorizing a deck of cards, for example. So in the interview, we get into a whole wide range of topics, and I really hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. All right, here's Anthony. Well, for folks that don't know who you are, or maybe they've heard the name, but they're not exactly familiar with what who you are and what you do, um, let's go back to the beginning, sort of um, both your origin story as a memory expert and a language learner, and then we can get into a little bit about what the magnetic memory method is. Uh, but first, right. let's yeah, go way back. So how, how did you get into all this stuff? What was the this were a comic book story of your life, you know, what's the spider that bit you or was there any particular experience that sort of triggered this, this love of, of memory, but also specifically of language learning? Well, the spider was the stress spider because (laughs) it was nearing the middle, I guess, of my doctoral studies Mm -hmm. for the PhD that it just sort of dawned on me, Oh, you've got an exam to sit for. And you haven't even really, you know, gotten started on any of it, and you're depressed, and the winter has come, and I couldn't even get myself out of bed. Mm. So I had to do something, and so instead of doing what you would normally do, which is seek help for your problems, I started to study magic. And as you do, as I was, you know. yeah, as one does, <laughs> just to avoid life, right? Well, I had this idea that I would have an emergency paycheck and become a a street magician. Uh, instead of facing these exams for my uh, my PhD. So in magic, I came across this training that said you could memorize a deck of cards. And I thought, no, you can't. I can't even read a page out of this book, let alone show up for my Hebrew lessons, you know. And uh, why I chose biblical Hebrew is, is, is its own story. But in any case, I had to... Um, to make this connection in my mind all of a sudden that if you really could, that'd be pretty amazing. And I thought, first of all, that would be really amazing for magic tricks. So I started to learn it. And lo and behold, I could do this. And I I just had this boost of confidence, which we now know from uh, some research by a guy named Tim Doglish is expected from memory palace work. It's a very fascinating line of uh, research that's going on right now. And I saw that if I could memorize a deck of cards, I can memorize anything on cards. So that's where I started. And I got cocky with it at a certain point. I remember in one of my field exams saying, no, that was on page 72, (laughs) you know, because 
if you learn memory techniques really well, you actually can make images on a page by page basis mm -hmm. and you have numbers or uh, you have images for every two digit number or even three digit numbers if you want. And then you, you really can remember what pages they were because you start to use those pages as memory palaces from time to time. Got it. Uh, so anyway, long story short, I passed the exams and I wound up getting a research grant in Germany where I was able to, you know, do all kinds of cool things and pick up German much easier because of the, the memory techniques. And then I... Uh, oh, was that the first time you'd applied memory techniques in language learning or is that your first foreign language at all? Was German? Well, I muddled... Or? Yeah, I would say it was the first yeah, foreign language that ever was <laughs> something that I would, would, would call speakable because I never used uh, biblical Hebrew for anything other than the uh, graduate purposes. Got it. But um, yeah... And I remember, too, actually, the the sort of race to give a lecture, Auf Deutsch, and being on the bus and seeing my boss and speaking German with him. And he was just kind of like, how are you doing this? And I didn't think that much of it, but because, you know, there's so many cognates and whatnot in, in German. But then when over the years when I've met other people struggling with this, um, yeah, it's, it, it is totally attributable to just the mnemonics and particularly the way I think of mnemonics. I think I, d I use a bit more of a heavy lifting kind of mnemonics than are often taught mm -hmm. that really get it deeper into the system than, uh, than the average person ever learns to do. And, and just for the sake of listeners, maybe who aren't familiar with some of these words. Um, so cognates are terms that are shared, have a, a similar shared etymology basically between different languages so you know a lot of yeah. a lot of romance languages a lot of indo-european languages english and german obviously i mean english is a germanic language right, at least right, grammatically right. right so so those are little kind of head starts i guess is how i would talk about it for, between a lot yeah, of languages yeah. pro tip a lot of people don't realize this but even a language like japanese that is completely historically unrelated to english because they've borrowed so many words from english you know, it's not exactly a cognate, but you can use it in the same way as kind of a head start. But um, and then a couple other words we used here already. So memory palace and then mnemonics. So right. just real quickly. I'm jumping through. ahead. <laughs> no, no, that's, this is good. This is good stuff. It's, just, it's my job to kind of uh, be the translator for the for the listener. So maybe just run through real quick. What is a mnemonic and then mm. what is a memory palace? Well, it's interesting. There's a terminological problem that gets pretty heavy with memory techniques. So technically I would say a memory palace is a mnemonic. Right. It's, it's mnemonic is a technique that helps you remember. So I would even say flashcards can be called a mnemonic technique. They're, they're a device, right? Right. So a memory palace is turning space into a mnemonic device. And so then if you imagine the room that you're in now and you've got four corners and four walls, that is eight pieces of space that you can then instantly use, just drawing from your memory, you can probably get together several dozen buildings, which would then give you potentially a couple hundred rooms. Uh, if you just chart it out, I recommend people draw them. And if you just make it that simple, corners and walls, you've got lots and lots of location-based mnemonics to work with. And that's what a memory palace is. And I think maybe to underscore this a little bit, the reason you are choosing physical mm. spaces that you have been in or are familiar with is that it's something 
tangible to attach information to. Uh, And we'll probably get more into this in the conversation, but I think for a lot of people, they're very familiar with forgetting things, you know, (laughs) having a really hard time trying to remember something. And part of why it's hard to remember is so slippery. There's nothing to attach it to. And I guess what you're advocating here is you are, you're using these walls and these corners as something to attach that memory to. And now you have some barbs, something that you can find it again out of the ether. Is that a a fair summary? It is. I mean, we can add some nuance to it because I don't think you need to attach it. At least that's not how I experience it. But, you know, one of the issues is, is that we can't see inside of anybody else's head. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are some neuroscientists who have done some studies on some of the memory champions, and they have some ideas of what's going on. But we need to understand that space, wall, corner, these are just words that we use to communicate to each other. But my experience of space and your experience of space can be quite a different thing. Right. So often we talk about the journey. So it's 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 a it's as if each place is a spot along a way, along a journey. Mm-hmm. And is memory paths. That, is that the what yeah, you're referring to? The, okay. There's this is the terminology thing where there's just an abundance of terms. So you have German or sorry, Roman rooms, journey method, method of loci, mm-hmm. memory palace, etc. So I mentioned Tim Dogleish, his research, he uses method of loci as a term, which half the population calls Loki. And you yeah. know, so it's um I'm not even sure anymore which is right, but I believe <laughs> it's loci. Um <laughs> and so when people get into it, they can find this very, very frustrating. Well, what am I supposed to do? There's at least five different ways that you can navigate these memory palaces in your mind that mm-hmm. I've thought about. So you can imagine yourself wandering from, say, corner to corner in mm-hmm. a room as if you're seeing through your own eyes a sort of first-person view. Right. You can see a top-down third-person view as if you're peering through the floor or the ceiling. Right. Right. The eyes you of can God. see a second person view. Yeah, the eyes yeah. of God, um, the omniscient memory palace. Yes. Uh, you could see yourself or another figure from a second person point of view. Oh, right? interesting. Like you watching could, a watcher kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. You could have it as a sort of over the shoulder, uh, you know, first person shooter kind of oh, okay. simulation. You could also, and this is what I prefer to do, you could just just be there, just be the space itself. And uh, Nelson Dulles, who's a multi-time mm-hmm. USA champion, he yeah, he's calls on the, the show recently. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, he used this word constellation, which I really seized upon. And that's mm-hmm. really how I think about this is I'm just going from star to star, but like the big dipper is only a big dipper when you impose a spoon on it. Mm-hmm. It's really just some spaces that are there and you can just go from star to star without really thinking about it. And how I achieve that is I just draw these out and then it's sort of a set it and forget it. And then it's just like tra- teleporting or mm. somehow moving from space to space. But I'm not hooking anything. It's just being the space. Um, yeah, I, I want to underscore this or maybe dig into this a little more because that's a very interesting but subtle maybe distinction is when I, I used the word earlier, I said attach and you mm. – sort of resist that a little bit. Um, and I guess maybe why, why that's maybe problematic from your point of view is that it's limiting and that, or maybe that it entails, there has to be a conscious effort to attach this 
to this. And what you're saying is that yeah. once you've maybe practiced this enough is it doesn't require that extra step of, of gluing two mm -hmm. things together that they're just, is, is that, am I under that? Right. Okay. That's a, that's a good way to think about it. It is an extra step and it's often, I think, an unnecessary one. And people I coach, they, that we quickly get them past that because it wastes too much time. It wastes right. too much mental energy. The thing, uh, the, to understand, I think is that the whole point of the memory palace is to reduce cognitive load, not mm -hmm. increase it. Mm -hmm. And the trick is to how do you get people to take on the cognitive load of learning this skill and then have it disappear as soon as possible in the same way that tying your shoes is going to have a pretty heavy you know, situation where you're going to spend some time figuring it out and then you're never going to think about it again right. for the rest of your life because right. it's just tying your shoes. Right. And that's that's what memory palaces are like once you figure it out. Yeah. So it's so. front loaded maybe is another way to describe it. Um, right. I, I always make this comment to people that, you know, cause I, you know, both of us are, uh, you know, we, we have podcasts, we have books, things like this. And, you know, some of that could be considered quote unquote passive income. Right. right. And I say, uh, <laughs> passive is maybe not the right word. It's front loaded. You know, right. you do a metric ass ton of work in, in, in one go and then, yeah, then you can, you know, sell things while you're sleeping, but yeah, yeah. It, it's not passive. <laughs> That's maybe not the right word. So maybe no. a memory palace is the same thing. It's not passive, at least in the beginning stage, but then once you've been riding your bike, you can take those training wheels off and it just happens, happens more automatically. Um, yeah. cool. Well, let's come back to how to actually construct and use the memory palaces later. I think this is a really important, um, uh, technique and skill that that I definitely, for my own selfish purposes, want to learn more about how to do it properly, um, and definitely for the listener's sake. So let's circle back to that. Remind me if I forget to come back. Um, but let's go back to your your then first time using some of these memory techniques with with German, and then mm -hmm. I assume with other foreign languages later. So, um, what did that look like? I mean, uh, it, was it just for vocabulary acquisition or did you also use some of these memory techniques with with grammar or with pronunciation or what, what does that actually entail i always start with vocabulary mm -hmm. and then with vocabulary once once you've got a corner or a wall that has some vocabulary on it like one word then it's quite simple to go back and add a phrase to it and grammar you know, adding, you know, dirty das and all that sort of stuff is a pretty minor thing, although there's other considerations in grammar. But I've always just thought that grammar can be picked up and corrected along the way mm -hmm. and sort of fine-tuned. And there's a lot of people who will say, look, if you want to remember nominative, nominative and all, all these kinds of things, then uh, you can add Dracula to this, like Dracula for dative and mm -hmm. all this sort of stuff. And yeah, you can do all that. But I th I think there's a lot of stuff that can just develop over time. I mean, you and I both know Ollie Richards. Mm -hmm. I I remember trying to show off a little bit when we were hanging out, out in Berlin and just, you know, talking German to people. And then I'd ask them, was, uh, you know, is my grammar correct there? And they'd say, kind of, right? Like they just, they don't know, right? And so it, it's, it, it gets to be a, a low return on investment activity at a certain point to sit there and do all this granular detail with mnemonics for grammar, unless you're going for C2 or something. Got it, yeah. But for me, I was never going for C2. I don't, I don't, I've tried to pass B2 
but I, I, I just the miles between B one and B two mm-hmm. with absolute specificity. Just I didn't want to travel them. I just talk with people and uh, and have fun. Right. So and I mean, and for most people, I think with a language, that is the goal: is communication. Right. Right. And yeah. to your point, to be able to communicate and use grammar, I love that Barry Farber quote: "You do not need to know grammar to obey grammar." And by knowing, right. consciously understand how it works, which obviously is true. I mean, as you just said, you ask a native German speaker uh, whether your grammar was quote unquote correct, or you ask them, you know, why is it this way and not that way? They don't know. We don't need to know at a conscious level. We know it intuitively. We, you know, right. In, uh, you know, neurological speak, we develop procedural memories through lots and lots of exposure and practice. Um, and this is actually one of the things I'm really the most interested in maybe delving into with you today. It seems like, as far as I understand, and I'm by no means a memory expert like you, I've just, I've interviewed lots of them. <laughs> so I've learned some of, you know, I've heard some of the same theories over and over, but, um, it seems to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of these memory techniques are best suited for more declarative memories, meaning, you know, things like vocabulary, things you can declare, you know, things that are like mm. bits of information versus procedural memories, such as grammar. Is is that a fair assessment or am I missing something? It isn't. It isn't. I mean, if you want to get into your procedural memory that you're going to say a statement correctly and you're going to know, I mean, it's, it's like, it's like you're mentioning there's, there's the difference between the actual utterance of something correctly in a way that's going to be understood. And then the sort of mathematical under structure uh, that is going to let you know why these calculations need to be formed that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, But one way or the other, it's going to get into your procedural memory or it's going to get into your mouth. And so if you, like, if we, if we take a phrase, um, let me see if I can think of something, my tones are not great, but I think you, you're doing something new with Chinese, right? Mm -hmm. So if we take a phrase like woman, Li Kai, Yichian, Sola, Chigashi, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how my tones are. That's my weakest point, right? I could. But <laughs> it's okay? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so um, in, in that sort of uh, sentence, I can do it word for word and have an image for every word, mm-hmm. but I can also get it more procedural into my mouth. I haven't said this statement forever, so I'm having a little panic. Was that right or not? But um, uh, the 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 idea is, is I don't have to practice it just for vocabulary. I can practice it for a phrase, and then I can use the mnemonics to actually make sure that the procedural memory of it is is quite a little bit more like a flowy thing. And how that works is I'll skip the words. And because the words are in individual spaces, that allows me to go on the odd words forward and the even words back. So this is what in music we call dedicated practice. Mm -hmm. And you can use this with language learning as well. And you can use it in language learning a hell of a lot easier when you have it memorized in a memory palace because there are, there's positionality for each part of the sentence. So does that make sense? It's, it's a sort of Not musical quite. phrase. So what, so when you say skipping the words, how, how is that helping you, um, mem- you know, use the entire, yeah, I may have not following. Run, run me through that again. <laughs> well, let's talk about memory science a little bit. Okay. There's something called primacy effect mm-hmm. and there's something called recency effect. And then there's the serial positioning effect and there's the forgetting curve. So 
when we're dealing with sentences, we'll often, or anything, we'll be able to remember the beginning and the end quite right. easy, but the middle will fall out. Right, right. So when you're... When, when everybody says, yeah, hey, just learn sentences, always learn everything in context. Mm -hmm. You can often find that you'll get through the first two words and maybe you'll remember the last word, but in the middle, it's just like, blah, blah, yeah. right? Which often happens when you're memorizing musical phrases. So one of the things we do in music with dedicated practice is we split it up into bars and we'll do first bar, second bar. And then, or it won't be first bar, second bar, but, you know, in the middle of a piece of music, you'll have a bar, then you'll do the bar and the bar after it, and then you'll do the bar and the bar before it, and then you'll do all three together. I right? see. Okay. So you're creating more beginnings and endings. Is that part exactly, of the magic? Exactly. Okay. 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 More primacy, more recency. Got it. And we're using serial positioning to do it. This, incidentally, is also something that is done in some of the ancient meditations that use mantras. They will not do the mantras necessarily in order, but they will skip. And it's part of why they have such extraordinary memories, a lot of these people, because that is itself a way of remembering more, remembering it better. Right. Because uh, you don't so, have to remember always this to trigger the next. The fact you can jump around means that you really, really have it. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I wouldn't do that for every single sentence under sure, the sun. Sure, sure. But, but maybe if you're having a hard time remembering a particular phrase mm -hmm. or, or or something, yeah. And, anyway, and incidentally, this is a lot of people think the memory palace is not is not repetition or not spaced repetition. No, it's precisely this feature that gives you the same effect as a, as spaced repetition software. It's it's it, it's just probably for many people, if they can get themselves to do it, it's going to have a faster effect than relegating it to a machine, especially machines that add all this distortion. Like, how confident are you that you recalled this? And then mm -hmm. you say, oh, five, because, you know, you're a liar. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and, and I mean, I've done this a lot. I've just, or you click the wrong button and it just goes into this, mm -hmm. you know, weird algorithm. But that algorithm is true. It's it's good memory science. It's trying to give primacy and recency right. in a distribution that works best for you. It, the the only problem being actual um, showing up to the device consistently enough and accurate self-reporting. So those are yeah. some issues. And I'd add one more on top of that, which I think to me personally, based on my philosophy of things, especially with a language like Mandarin or Japanese, the the delta between Passive recognition and active production yes. is massive. And uh, I do use SRS, you know, space repetition apps, and I do think they can be a powerful tool. But I am, I, if you are going to use something like that, don't just quiz yourself on passive recognition. Like, do you know what this means? Or do you know this, this kanji character on a screen? I, I think it's much, much better to either on paper or on a screen to write out the word. Yeah. And that way you actually are, you're showing yourself, okay, do I actually know how to pronounce and how to write this? Not just, do I recognize it? So anyway, yeah. brief tangent no. over. <laughs> but that's what the Mary Palace does is it, it promotes active recall hmm. and it promotes the, I mean, this is just neurochemistry. Your brain is a garden and you have, and I'm not a neuroscientist, but you know, you, you, you have these synapses and the the strength of the connections has to do a lot with uh, dopamine and myelin and all mm -hmm. these things that 
that sort of wrap around so that the positive and negative ions can flow through the synapses at the end of these neurons. And, uh, you know, there's, there's these little vines that sort of grow out of them. And the strength and the integrity and the length of these vines is really the strength of your memory. Right. And how and thick so, those, those, that insulation is. I, I remember yeah, reading uh, the talent code last year and just realizing that, right. um, you know, most of our focus when we think of memory or skills or any of these things, we tend to think about the, the synapses. We tend to think about the connections. And obviously that's essential and important. But the case that he made in the book is actually, no, no, mo they're not sexy, but most of the magic happens in the insulation around, right. um, you know, the myelin, um, how fast our memories happen, how, how quickly you, I assume in a memory palace, you think this and the other thing happens. It's, it's, it's not just how many connections there are, but it's also, you know, how well insulated is that connection, which I just, yeah. I, I found that really fascinating. Um, well, how this is an interesting point because how we make that insulation super strong, right, is very simple. And you can make it very, very strong by making sure that you hit what I call cave cogs, which is just a fancy acronym for kinesthetic, auditory, visual, emotional, conceptual, olfactory, and gustatory. Mm. So when you make your little associative images in your memory palace – right. You can have really weak ones or you can have super strong ones. And I found that just with lots and lots of people, if you can get them to just go through that list, mm -hmm. did you feel that image? Did you hear it? Did you right. see it? Did you have an emotion at attached to it? Right. Their recall just goes way up through right. the roof. And uh, this is all well documented in science as well. Yeah. The question is always, can we get you to do it? Right, right. Cause, <laughs> yeah, because it is going to take, again, it's going to be a little more front loaded to spend that mm -hmm. time to blend in all of those different levels of, of mat. Well, it's imagined sensory perception, but this is, again, well, this thing is so fascinating about the way the brain works is it's stored as if it really happened yeah. out in the world. I mean, you, you imagine yourself smelling this flower in your mind, in your memory palace, and it's as if you smelt it in many ways. I just, it's endlessly fascinating. Um, I, I hadn't heard that acronym, which is, again, another mnemonic, to go back to that word, right. which is great. Um, <laughs> I, I know, um, I think it was Tony Buzan, um, it was what, Smash and Scope, I think that was what, yeah. how you describe it. But same basic idea, right? You're adding in sort of a, a synesthetic uh, dimension yeah. to these things. Um, which, by the way, I saw that you you had uh, worked with him in, in a mind map. I don't know if it was a certification or a training or something, but... Yeah, yeah. Sadly, uh, I have on my desk here, I think of him every day. This is uh, something he gave me, which is his, a reproduction, an artistic reproduction of one of his brain cells. Oh. And uh, it was the warrior of the mind emblem for outstanding contributions to global mental literacy. He took that off his jacket and put it oh, on my, cool. on my, whatever I was wearing lapel. Yeah. And, uh, it's extra touching because anybody who's read Moonwalking with Einstein, mm -hmm. like Joshua Ford makes a big deal out of that pin in the beginning when he's describing Buzan and the warrior of the mind stuff. So I was, you know, I talk for a living, but I was absolutely speechless when that happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Buzan, Buzan, he was, and we sadly lost him recently. I don't yeah. know if you know that. Yeah. I, um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, how wonderful you got to have that experience during his life. And, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, he actually. I mean, I mind map. Uh, I mind mapped a lot of the work that I'm doing with him uh, during that session when we were hanging out, and it was an incredibly small, intimate affair, and got all this attention on what I'm doing, and had his blessing, and he's like, "Well, it's ambitious, but go for it," <laughs> you know. So that was cool. Well, let's talk about mind mapping then a bit more. I, I actually do have an article in the blog I wrote way back when um, about how to apply mind mapping in, in language learning. Um, for those that aren't familiar, what is mind mapping and how do you think it can best be applied um, in general, but also specifically in language learning? Well, there's a, there's a couple of ways. Mind mapping is really just putting stuff on paper in a way that helps you understand things better. In the early days, Buzan thought of mind mapping as a memory tool, mm -hmm. but even I think in, in the early 70s or so, he sort of pivoted away just thinking about it as a primarily an, an understanding and creativity tool. Mm -hmm. uh, however, I think that that was a premature abandonment. But if we just take Buzan's general concept, he part of what he was thinking was how do we represent the brain cell on the page? So when we think about these synapses and neurons and the, the sheaths around them, the dendritic spines and all that sort of stuff. He was very um, preternatural in a sense mm -hmm. in not having nearly as much data as we have now about what these things look like. And he just said, look, if you have a central nucleus on the page and you have these radiating tributaries that come out of it, you are essentially representing how your brain actually works on the page. And it's kind of bizarre that he, yeah. he talked about it that way back then long before what was daniel coyle did the talent code mm -hmm. like long before these um books were starting to help popularize some of the neuroscience now in all of that he also had these rules these 10 laws of mind mapping that he thought would help unlock all of this process and create radiant thinking he called it mm -hmm. and I always I used to ignore this stuff. I was just like, yeah, whatever, blah blah blah, mind mapping. But yeah. then this this law about like three colors, I st I started to get into it, and I think there's a huge logic to it that has to do with diffuse thinking. Because if you know that you have to have three colors in your central image, that's the nucleus of your cell, you're taking a break. You're reflecting, even if you're not reflecting consciously. There's some pause, you know, stress on, stress off. Oh, what color will I choose next? Mm -hmm. And that gives more space to things. Mm -hmm. And I think it really makes sense when you look at other aspects of, of learning. Now, when it comes to language learning, I mean, there's some simple ways to do it. Let's say you want to do some vocabulary around baking or something. So you have a central image and it would be the concept of baking. And then maybe you would have a word for oven coming out of one of those tributaries. You would have but you know whatever flour sugar eggs mm -hmm. all these words that are connected and you would chart them out and then to add a memory component you could have instead of eggs you could have you know ire in in german uh you could have a, a big eye like an egg shaped like an eye that you would uh, draw out and you would have your three colors there and you're focusing on this I and ire and maybe you're like, well, how am I going to get that er sound at the end? So you might, I don't know, just think of, um, uh, I'm trying to think of something here, but an 
maybe there's an Ermin Herman, you know, or something like that, or Herman Ebbinghaus, whatever, something like that, that has this er sound, right. or something like that. And, you know, even now I'm imagining myself doing it and I finally found something, uh, not too much radio silence, sorry for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, you find something that makes sense. So now it's, you know, Eisen Herman Ebbinghaus, so Eyer, and that's now on that page. Right. And so the page is now effectively maybe not a memory palace, but it's spatially organized. Mm -hmm. And if you would limit yourself to just 12 vocabulary words on this page and and you put them in a sort of clock-like formation, well, what was that three o'clock? Everybody knows where three o'clock is on a clock. Uh, That is now effectively the mind map as a memory palace. And I've done this to help with learn vocabulary more as an experiment. But uh, yeah, it it is Mm -hmm. that simple. It's like, what was that five o'clock? Well, there it is. You just think back to that image that you drew there. And I think if you really do take a second to use three colors, you'll get more out of it because you have this sort of stress on, stress off percolation. Right. And maybe also the increased complexity of the the multiple colors. You know, this is a, a little bit of a counterintuitive um, reality, mm-hmm. something that I've read about, you know, in the, in the memory literature, which is that we think that if you make learning easy, you'll remember mm-hmm. it easier. But somewhat right. in a contradictory way, that's not necessarily true. For example, you know, when you write things by hand, it it's harder, right? It takes more time, it takes more effort, and therefore, probably because of that, not only you have the kinesthetic component, obviously that's part of it too, but the fact it took more time and effort than typing or dictating, um, right. we tend to remember it better. So I, I'm wondering maybe if the colors are also that, and it's not only the stress on stress off, but it's the the fact it's taking you more time and effort to do it. That you know, mm. it's creating more more of that connection. Um, question: So, when someone makes a mind map, or when they are uh, let's take the mind map. So, in the mind map context, because it is something visual that they are drawing and writing themselves, do you think they should have the if their native language is English, should they have the English word and the foreign word and these concepts, or just the image and then the foreign word? I would. I mean. I don't know, but I my preference myself would be to have the foreign language word. I mean, you're not learning your mother tongue, so right? Right. right. <laughs> why? Why would you put that there? Um, yeah. I agree with you. It, I just it, I know a lot of people when I've seen mind maps of others doing this, they will have you know the English word and then they'll have the foreign word. And I personally, I'm like, ooh, you know, going back to that idea of creating an extra step. That's a huge extra right. um, step, and and that's a lot of the it's distraction it's creating friction it's it's keeping you stuck in this translating back and forth you know stage which i think is a lot of people assume is an inevitable stage you have to go through but i and i don't know your thoughts on this but i always argue like actually it's not like it's it's an assumption that's not really i think necessarily true no uh no i think i think it comes back to that sort of thing of the the way that we really remember is by getting ourselves to work at recall to 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 trigger recall and to cause ourselves to recall not oh uh you know something comes up on a screen and then there's a button behind it or beneath it that says reveal answer right. well that's not that's not getting yourself to do it what you should right. do is have like a little card or something like that that has a drawing and you're like oh, hey that's drawing cool. of batman and robin yeah. now why would i have the drawing of batman and robin beside this chinese oh, character duo yeah right Ah. And yeah. Right. So now it's a puzzle. You're solving it and you're causing your brain to do the work. 
right? That's clever. So that's, that's a, that's really a teaching clever. example that I have is like, why would you have Batman and Robin together beside this character that also seems to have two people there? And right. they, maybe there's a little bit of bat suggestion of some bat yeah. ears in that Chinese symbol, but yeah. you know. So for those listening that didn't see what uh, Anthony was, <laughs> was showed, he, he put up a card and it had the Chinese character for duo, which means many or a lot yeah. of, and he had then the, a picture of Batman and Robin next to it. So anyway, very cool, very clever. Um, and, you know, that's something that maybe not everybody's going to arrive at. But if you yourself start this practice, I mean, Benny Lewis says this in Fluent in Three Months. He was like, it was hard at first, but then all mm-hmm. of a sudden it just becomes second nature to think in association. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's what, one of the biggest maybe challenges that I'm sure you face as a you know, a writer and a teacher of this, these concepts and these techniques is just getting people over that initial hump of having the, the discipline and the motivation and the, and the, probably the faith that putting in this front loaded work will be worth it. And that it won't be this hard forever. It won't take, you know, 10 minutes every time you do this in the future. It'll do that maybe the first two or three times you do it until you, you make that muscle that memory muscle strong enough that you can just do it at the, right, right. the speed of thought, I imagine. I have zero fear around this. I mean, evolution itself has kept these techniques around because they work, because they're extremely efficient, because they're so joy-inducing once that you get it. Right. And it's it's just a mystery why that uh, it's not easier to teach, but it's also – a mystery why a black belt in this and that martial art is not easier to teach. It's just nature organizes itself into hierarchies. There are uh, rungs to be climbed and there are teachers who that, I mean, there would be no industry (laughs) of anything if there weren't initiates and teachers. And obviously the teachers have, especially when they're independent teachers, they've been touched deeply. But I see this as an evolutionary thing. I see this as a nature thing, not really this or that person has mastery, but rather they're compelled to do it for right. reasons larger than any individual. Right. I think also more and more, you know, the older I get, the more I realize that teaching something effectively, it's very rarely about information. It's not an information transfer. It's almost always about the psychology. It's almost always about, you know, helping motivate, helping to encourage, helping to a lot of times help people get out of their own damn way, you know, with their own blocks (laughs) of, you know, I'm not good at languages. I, I have a bad memory. I mean, um, in fact, that reminds me, this would be a good segue. Um, one of the things I want to try with you today, this is kind of a new segment I want to do on the show, which is kind of a rapid fire exchange. So I'm going to throw out some of these common myths or misconceptions that you and I both hear all the time. Yeah. And then I just would love kind of your, your quick response to, to what you would say to a person that thinks that or believes that. So, so let's do that. The one I just said, I have a bad memory. Me too. So what? <laughs> so what? Right. <laughs> right. So, Obviously, you, you're right. I mean, and I, and I know that that's the, the tug of tea answer is, you know, we all do in a sense, right? That we, nobody can remember stuff unless you're autistic, 
right? That's part of being, that's part of that condition is, you know, they have no filter, right? Everything gets in, mm-hmm. everything sticks. Yes. But you know, people, people put pictures in their minds about all that stuff. You know, that superior autobiographical memory is usually accompanied by some kind of, uh, OCD mm. repetition, you know? So, interesting. You know, so they're uh, getting more reps because of their way. Their yeah, brain works. I, I see. It's a little bit risky to, you know, criticize this sort of field as we all know these days. But when I've looked into it and there's other people who have looked into it, they don't really they can't really find examples of superior uh, autobiographical memory where people aren't journaling like or somehow repeating in a very, very structured and repetitive way that give them, you know, certain benefits. Okay, so it's less that it's the they don't have the filter as much as it is. Because of their inclination, they are just getting in more and more and more reps. I think it's a combination of many things, and it's it's poorly understood. Mm-hmm. But it's it, so far, it's hard to find an example where there isn't some kind of manual repetition. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Wow, that's a today years old thing I've heard. <laughs> that's cool. Okay, mm-hmm. um, I'm not good at languages. I don't have the language gene. Well, <laughs> me neither, but... I've got, you know, a good reason why wrote out the vision statement by hand and going to sit down and do it regardless of what my little monkey mind ego has to say about it because I'm not going to sit on my deathbed and think, oh, well, I let my mind rule my life. Oh, <laughs> that That's a that's a Tolstoy failure if ever there was one. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, the thing I always say first of that is, well, we're speaking in a language right now. You seem you seem pretty darn good at English to me, you know. <laughs> that's a that's a better response, I think. Yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously there are differences between first language acquisition and and foreign language acquisition as an adult. There are, but I, I see it as a Venn diagram. I mean, I think there's a huge overlap, and then the stuff that's different, it's different in a good way. I mean, we have sure. as adults, we have all this ammunition, all this this cognitive bandwidth, the power we can throw at language learning that kids don't have. I mean, a kid can't do a, a memory palace, really, right? I mean, by kid, I mean infant. Like they around age six, they seem to be able to start. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Um, I don't have great, great, vast amounts of details on it, but that okay. I've heard that many times, and age ten seems to be quite a lot stronger. Okay. But um, yeah, kids can do memory palaces. Two by two, or two times two is four, because we got four shoes at the door. I mean, it's yeah, a lot of parents do this now. Right. It's, right. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's actually a question I was going to ask you today. Um, so this will be a tangent off a tangent, and we'll come back to the previous tangent in a second. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I, like with Chinese characters, for example. So you know the the method that I have have used and tend to abdicate is the remembering the kanji or remembering the Hanza method, which is basically just story based mnemonics for for characters. For those that aren't right. familiar, but one of the in the introduction of the book, one of the things Isaac points out is that. Chinese and Japanese children, yes, they might figure out some mnemonics ad hoc as they're going along, but for the most part, they just use pure rote repetition to to learn the characters. And so the assumption is, okay, we non-native adult speakers, that's what we should do too. We should just do pure rote memory. And if anyone has tried to learn Chinese characters before, you know just how bloody painful and efficient that (laughs) method is. It's awful. Mm -hmm. And then people think, ah, I'm just bad at I'm bad. At, I have a bad memory going back to that myth again, or I'm just not good at this. So what are your thoughts on how to best tackle characters? Well, 
best is always a risky word. Okay. Uh, how, how have you done it? Yeah. I, I, we, we touched on this a little already with your your Batman and Robin card I yeah. saw. So go through how you are doing it. Let's let's make that an easier question. Well, that's one of the primary ways is to draw associations on paper. So I have looked at high school. I actually have a student right now who's started something called the Kanji Project, and his mission is oh. to essentially use the magnetic Mary method stuff, the, uh, the, the, the teaching precisely for tackling kanji. And so that's, that's underway. He's built the course and we're eventually going to release it cool. uh, yeah, through let, my let site. Let me know when it's, uh, when it's live. I'll definitely give it a look. Yeah. Cause it's, it's not my exact wheelhouse, but in Chinese, um, the way that I've done it is precisely what I showed you. And the whole goal there is that, you know, how can I impose both an image that causes me to work and then in my mind, another image in a memory palace so that I remember that it's door, right? And uh, I'm, I'm not, I don't need to draw an image to represent the tone number, but I also use mnemonics to help me remember the tone numbers. Uh, so this is a little bit of a longer story, but Please, every, is, yeah. <laughs> every tone can have an image. And I don't think, uh, unless that you have a word by itself, which is not that common, mm-hmm. um, you have essentially two tones working together. Now, Sandy is its own thing. And this gets back to what we were talking about with German and uh, things, uh, other languages where I just learn the grammar later, because if I sit there and memorize every tone in a sentence. So just for the sake of listeners. uh, So in Mandarin, there are, there are, there are four primary tones. There's a fifth, which is a neutral tone. Um, But there's this thing called tone Sandy, which is there are tone rules where if you put two certain tones together then it'll change so for example a third tone in front of a third tone the first one becomes a second tone don't want to belabor this point too much but just for the sake of uh, of context here yeah so they can change anyway so you know is the front loading of memorizing every single tone combination out of the sun worth it sometimes yes sometimes no Mm -hmm. but um the thing is is if you have a system for memorizing numbers well, then every tone combination is already covered. So why not use it, ah. right? So when I have something like June Bay is three and four, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, if memory serves. And so 34 is a, a mare in the system that I use, a specific mare, a member of Cave Cogs. It's the horse on the cover of the novel by Piers Anthony, which I think was called Nightmare. And it's that horse and he's jumping through the thing. And I mm-hmm. imagine what it feels like to be on the horse. And then that can let me remember that that word is tone three and four because it's 34 because that's the horse. If it's one and two, well, then there's a uh, Tintin for that and so on. And now it, instead of just having an image on a card, also in my mind, in the memory palace, that image on the card is interacting with the image for the tone. And that's tremendously useful. Right. Do, I want to underscore that too. That's something else I've heard a few memory experts I've talked to bring up, which is the idea of movement and dynamicism. Mm-hmm. It's not, these are not static images in your head, right? That the, these no. things are moving and interacting. And um, in fact, I think it was a uh, Matthias Ribbing was saying, you know, picture, whatever the object is, you know, make it spin, make it move, you know, don't, don't let it be static. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's something that is interesting to try to explain because we never get to see in anybody else's head. Mm-hmm. But one uh, beautiful example that people can look up is Anastasia Wolmer's Ted talk. And she's an Australian memory champion and she's a dancer and she dances in her presentation uh. that 
and she's describing certain mnemonics that she used. So that's a wonderful resource to get a bit more of a sense of it, because that is something like what is going on in these image constructions. So to take a phrase, well, what, what would it be? Ni jun bei halama, right? Oh, sorry. Well, again, my pronunciation is just off the, not so good with these tones. Did I miss a word? I'm not sure. I'll just say it, it's juan instead of juan. Juan. Oh, okay. Yeah. In that pronunciation? All right. Yeah, it's just, it's hard. That's one of the, that U sound in manner is really tricky because it, it looks oh, okay. like it's jun, but it's, that one's actually, after a Z, after the, the retroflex, it's a juan. 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 Okay. Ni juan. Well, I'm going to have to have a chat with my wife. She never corrects me, but it can well she either corrects me way too much like if i don't have those beijing or r endings then i'm yeah, corrected like crazy but somehow funny. front <laughs> pronunciations i'm i'm never corrected yeah. anyway um in in that sort of phrase oh i, I sort of lost my point here Sorry. i'm the memory guy i i uh, <laughs> i've gone off the rails what i was why i was using that uh that sentence for the tone numbers i guess right yeah the tone numbers yeah, I, just, I remember that, but I can't remember what the exact point was that I was going to try to make. Um, and now I'm trying to remember Juan as a, as a proper <laughs> it's thing. too much so cognitive gotta, load at once. Yeah. It is. I'm cognitive over, overload, yeah. cognitively okay. overloading. But I've got, um, for some reason, and I can't think of the name of the actor right now, but he reminds me of Juan. Anyway, the whole idea is, is that you would just apply these images to help you remember the tones. Right. And if you have oh yeah action that's what it was dance movement and so that's oh, yes. so it's a horse yeah. right so in canada there's a place lac le jeune and uh lac le jeune is the um which has now got to be juan <laughs> juan is is what the horse is kicking the sign where you go off the highway to lac le jeune okay. um and uh so that kicking motion is what helps get that motion in there that's what we were talking about that's why i brought the example up um as an example of motion so the horse and it's not just kicking though it's actually hearing it crack the sign mm -hmm. and it's a concept too like the concept that it is the area in british columbia where you take the highway off to of uh off the way to um uh lac Lejeune. this is a a really important part of it and a lot of people they miss that when they come up with the images so it's movement it's conceptuality uh i think when i first memorized that i also had michael bay directing it so that I had that sort of bay sound in there uh, -huh. uh and the so explosions and <laughs> yeah yeah and that's another conceptual thing but it's also a phonic one-to-one -one, right. uh um correspondence mm -hmm. and sometimes you get you get very good one-to-one -one correspondences, but mostly you don't. So close enough kind of stuff. And that can lead to pronunciation errors as well, because primacy effect can be so strong. Like to this day in German, my quittung just doesn't sound the way that it should. Uh, and I have to repeat it a lot when I'm speaking German with native speakers. Um, and there, there are certain things in Chinese as well. Like if I use an image, I'm sometimes locked into it and it can be hard to get out of, but it's a it's a worthy price to pay, I think, at the end of the day. Yeah, and again, going back to what we said earlier, it's it, these are training wheels. You know, it's it's the whole point of this is just enough to trigger the memory. If you're trying to remember something, you're having a hard time remembering, right? And once it becomes automatic, then you can kind of 
I think maybe I'm wrong, but I think you kind of can put those mnemonics away or you're not having to go to them every time the way you do in the beginning. On the Heisig front, again, I, I think another really important thing that I like to underscore there, which goes back to what you were just saying about, again, the sensory component of all this. One of the mistakes that I see a lot of people make when they're using that approach, or really any kind of story-based mnemonic, is they make it too logical. They, mm. you know, they go, oh, okay, the, the components, the, you know, the different radicals of this character, there's this radical, this radical, this radical. So I'm going to make a story that has those words in it. And then they just say that story in their head and it doesn't stick because it's just a logical story that they didn't take the time to, to your point, to see it, smell it, taste it, touch it, feel it, you know, feel the ground shake, you know, hear that horse kick that sign, you know, it it lacks the, the emotionality. It's just logical. And I think that's a, that's a problem. It is. Yeah. And, you know, to the, to the point that it, some people say, well, this takes so much time. It really doesn't. So I mean, does road memorization. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> when people true. say it takes so much time, it's like, yeah, so you're going to tell me that the, th- there's another alternative that takes less time? You know, bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I would just say I'm not the best at this. I'm far from the best at this. You've talked to other memory competitors, but I've gone myself in pretty brutal condition to a memory competition and once you're skilled with it, you'll be amazed by how fast it can go. Because I've sat with a guy who has two Guinness World Records, and I did half as well as he did in the competition with him trying to trick me out. You know, And I lost my spot just as I lost my spot here, but I found my way back to it, and he didn't manage to steal my points, etc. And the thing is, is that I have no distinct sense of it having taken any time at all. The clock went on. We only had two minutes. We memorized as many cards as we were, and it was just done. And that's just coming from practice. It's the same thing with you being able to tie your shoes quickly when you need to get out the door. You don't even think about it once that you've learned how to do it. Right. And so people uh, who think that this is going to take a lot of time, you're right. Rote takes a heck of a lot longer. Yeah. This is just a, a particular set of movements. And if you learn the brushstrokes in, uh, in, in writing Chinese characters or what have you, you're going to have the same sort of thing. It's going to be rusty in the beginning, but the next thing you know, you'll just right and it'll be beautiful yeah yeah going back again to the procedural memories that's it will become that i mean you won't have to consciously think of every step it'll just it'll happen um okay so going back to kind of these rapid fire uh questions and or myths so another one we often hear is i don't have time i don't have time i'd love to learn a language i just don't have time yeah, I don't either. But I mean, time is not a thing that we have. Time is something that we structure. Mm-hmm. And it's going to go... It's an illusion, albeit a persistent one, as Einstein said, right? Yes. Well, that's exactly right. And the persistence is created by the ego. And one of the things that I find really powerful, and this comes back to procedural memory, is what are the five things you can do before that you turn on any device? So sorry, SRS people, but, you know, if you can get your language learning in before you turn on the device, it's the conquer the morning, conquer the day thing. You feel great all day because you've done something to reach your goal and you've structured time. You've made the most out of it. And then you go and do all that other stuff. So if you can, you know, use your mind power to structure things and then and not allow yourself to be distracted, you can get a lot done very, very quickly. Every learning stunt I've ever done came from structuring time first, mnemonics second. It's, mm. uh, it's, it's the, it's the real primacy. So with that pre-device 
clarity time. What run us through what you'd be doing? Like, let's say with Mandarin right now, for example. Mm. Like, what what are you doing? Are you are you just going through your your memory palaces? Are you looking at those cards? Like, what does that time look like? I'm focused on Sanskrit right now. But oh, okay. Same. Well, same thing. Same, yeah. So run us through story. that. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, so I get up and I have the book that I'm memorizing from, and I will typically even before I get out of bed, I will run through whatever it is that I've been uh, working on. And then I will get up and memorize something new. So it's recall first, Mm -hmm. then it's adding some new stuff. Uh, The Sanskrit that I'm memorizing is chains. So it's just sort of like adding on new chains. It's not what you would call learning Sanskrit, but rather memorizing uh, verses. So it's slightly different. than like sutras? Yeah. So I've got I've got a little over a hundred now wow. that uh, I can whip out to either your chagrin or your delight, but because uh, <laughs> I don't have a great singing voice, but uh, it's it's incredible what it's done to my brain in terms of cleaning out the ego and all that stuff because mm-hmm. the semantic content is really just as powerful as the uh, echoic or the auditory uh, mm-hmm. content, which also has its own effect. Anyway, I will just sit there and. So I follow exactly what we what we talked about because I want to get this memorized as quickly as possible. So I will do the phrase forward, backward, and skip the words. And then that's pretty much – I mean not all the time, but I, I'd say like 95%. That's it. It's, it's, it's in provided mm-hmm. that I continue to, mm-hmm. to show up and do all, all the, the recall um, and, and, ha- and keep it in use, so, right. so to speak. Uh, and so within 15 minutes or so. I'm, I'm, I feel quite accomplished for the day. Uh, and if I were focusing on, on Chinese, I would do that. Uh, sadly, my, I was going to go into level four here at the Confucius Institute, but with what's going on in the world, they canceled mm-hmm. the, the course. Uh, so I sort of just, which is HSK for, I assume for listeners or. I, the, when, in the level that I took last year, I, I don't know why they just, they said I was good enough to go in level three, but they don't they don't seem to be following HSK three or HSK four. They may be, but they don't, they don't talk about what level we're in. It's just, um, also these levels that <laughs> speak about time before being kind of this, uh, illusion. And, and the fact that we as humans like to cut it up into these little chunks and think that that's real. I think these levels are much like that too. They're not, there isn't some <laughs> clear line. I mean, you know, this. I'm saying for the listener's sake, there's not some clear dividing line between like, this level and that level. And that one day you're suddenly now I'm this yesterday. It's like, it's all, it's all mixed together, but they did give me a certificate at the end of level three and everybody was happy. I only made one mistake on the final exam, but there was no belt or, um, uh, you know, special, um, you know, badge or anything like that. It was just a piece of paper. And well, there was hardly any English spoken throughout. So maybe he did say HSK at some point, but mm. it was over my head because I don't know that how to say that in Chinese even. So, um, but yeah, uh, I wish that I was still going with Chinese. I mean, I, I still do uh, a little bit here and there, but we just speak it at home in the ways so that we speak is, it. is a native speaker, I guess I didn't, I, yeah, I picked she's that up a, from the context before, but yeah. She's a Beijinger and, you know, a couple times a week I send messages back and forth through WeChat with her family and we had a little chat last night, but, um, yeah, I'm mostly focused on the Sanskrit now. I want I wanted to, uh, to go to a class just to see what a class was like, uh, and 
So they tested me and they said, oh, you're good enough for level three. And I was like, are you kidding? Are you sure? And they said, oh, yeah, well, you can always go to level two if you if you want. But I was fine. Uh, they actually asked me if I wanted to go up to level four. And I said, no, uh, now that I started it, I like you. You're a good teacher. So mm-hmm. let's go. Uh, but yeah, level four got canceled. So I'm now more focused on the Sanskrit. But it would be the same thing. And when I did level three, I just showed up, new vocabulary, memory palaces, mm-hmm do these things. Anytime I want to add phrases, I add phrases. Sometimes it's it's good to do so. Other times it's not necessary, depending on the nature of the vocabulary. Not all vocabulary, as I'm sure you know, is created equal. Um, so it's just, uh, the best way to say it is I make everything as mission-oriented as possible. Right. Uh, and I even write it down as missions. So I think that's a, a good way to structure it. And before the machine goes on. Because yes. after that, all bets you know, are off. Who <laughs> knows what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, to be fair, that is one of the the realities and the downsides of using devices. And I'm I'm totally torn. I mean, I'm 100 percent with you on the one hand that like uh, do as much as you can analog. I mean, I'm a total analog junkie. I mean, I I do my journal right. here, but I also have a a digital journal that I use because they each have their their pros and their cons. I think getting ideas out and planning my day better on paper because it's yeah. blank, right? I'm starting from scratch every morning. What matters now? Not what did I think would matter three weeks ago today, right? Yeah. But yeah, and it's, it's a discipline. It's a mindset yeah. discipline, but it's worth cultivating. Right. But then, there, you know, we can't throw away that there are some awesome advantages to the digital stuff. I mean, I my I use an app called Day One for my journal. And I love the fact that any morning I can go in there and, and see on this day for every day back as long as I've been doing it. And I can just see a, a quick summary of, of those things, which to do that in a paper format would be a lot more difficult, right? Take more time. Right, right, right. So I think they yeah. both have their pros and their cons, but to your point, I love the idea of, of doing a, a pre-device analog mental ritual every morning and do those first high impact, meaningful engagements with the language. Um, one thought came up as you said that I know I know that sleep is a really important component of learning and, and memory consolidation. Can you speak a bit to that of you know why sleep's so important and maybe do you have strategies around when you, for example, learn or review information around sleep? Sleep is well, there's recent research that shows that consolidation changes as we age. Mm. So as we get older, consolidation effects may not be as beneficial. But certainly for younger ages, the suggestion there is that lots of sleep helps with memory, and you will get a benefit if you do some review before you go to sleep. However, how you review is 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 consequential mm-hmm. to a very uh, big degree. So just um, you know, reveal answer on an app is not necessarily going to. Reveal answer plus sleep is not necessarily going to uh, give you any benefits. Um, But yeah, sleep tends to be quite important. Uh, And it also just heals your body, right? So if you're sick and you're in suffering and pain, your attention is gone throughout the day. So what is there to remember if you didn't pay attention to it appropriately in the first place? Mm -hmm. So I would think of sleep first as a health thing and then as a consolidation thing second and actually, maybe I'd make a, a consolidation thing third after, did you do any kind of elaborative encoding? Even if you're not using the heavy hitting mnemonics that we were talking about mm-hmm. today, some sort of elaborative encoding is required, some sort of levels of processing. And that would be things like writing, 
reading, speaking, mm -hmm. listening, and engaging in it in such a way that you're actively engaged with it to the point that it is being somehow thrown into the great mix of your neurochemistry. And so some contemplation and so forth. So really all that we've been talking about today with the mnemonics is really just accelerating what you're doing anyway right. uh, through association. And then uh, add some sleep so that you feel good. Have uh, some great chemicals in your body because you go for a walk every day. Go to the gym, which I know is a, a bit challenging at the present moment. And I miss the gym very much right now, but I got home gym, baby. Yeah. Yeah, you know, push-ups, sit-ups, step-ups under the yeah. chairs. I mean, dips on your chair. There's so much we can do at home. Yeah, your brain needs it. It's the, yeah. it's back to that garden thing. Yes, the more that uh, that you have good, healthy fertilizer and nutrition, tilling the soil, that's, nutrition. That's my whole yeah. other career has been the last ten years has been nutrition. And I, it's oh, funny. Wow. I I there's a part of my both my books, Master Japanese and Master Mandarin. I have a whole section on nutrition. And I, I had one reader complain, like, what, what is nutrition doing in a language learning book? And I said, what is it? What would it not be doing in there? I mean, last time I checked, your memories are stored in your brain. Your meat computer is made of nutrients. You know, you got to get them somewhere. Mm. So this, this matters, you know? Anyway. It says in the Sanskrit that we are the eaters of the world and we are the world that we eat. <laughs> so Ooh, that's good. They actually have uh, Sanskrit words, satwik. Rajasic and Tomasic, which are the three categories of food. Uh, Rajasic food is the food that irritates you and makes it hard to concentrate on anything. Tomasic food is the food that makes you slothful and lazy and makes it hard to concentrate on anything. Huh. And then Satwick food is the food that makes you peaceful and calm and very attendant to the world and the information in it to the point that you no longer think that you are any different than the world or the information in it, which is, I think, the memorizer's ideal. Because whenever those thoughts of this is hard come in, it's usually because your brain is producing an ego that is telling you this story, but yeah. it's just information, right. you know, it's not any different than anything else. Right. Symbols, codes, numbers, words, grammar, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like only you are creating this story of that. This is hard. And that's yeah. not and that hard. separation. I mean, that's one yeah, of the things separation. about ego that I remember, I think it was Eckhart Tolle was talking about how, you know, and how he defines ego is it's, it's the separation from you and the world that you're a separate splintered thing. Um, which I know, you know, a lot of work recently, people are talking about, um, you know, entheogens and hallucinogens as ways to, to dissolve the ego. And that's what it does. It's suddenly you're like, I'm not a separate thing. I am part of this whole thing. And it's part of me. Most people will never get there to full self-realization if they don't take care of their diet. It's just not going to be possible because your brain cannot produce that calm ego to perceive it. It's, it's being, too, it's too know, inflamed. Yeah, I mean, at a, at yeah, a yeah. purely biochemical level, yeah, it's when you're mm -hmm. inflamed, when your brain's inflamed, and guess what? If your gut's inflamed, your brain's inflamed, you know, yeah, so, yeah. which most people's are because they're eating garbage. Of course, it's the garbage that they're told is healthy too. That's a whole other conversation. But anyway, we won't go there today. That's a whole other thing. But, uh, but the point being, look into it because yes. if you're struggling to remember, yes. if you're struggling to learn, if your mind is constantly tumbling around, yeah. all the all the strategies and techniques in the world right. are not a replacement for attending to the kinds of foods that could be throwing you off and you'll never get off that circle if you don't take care of your diet. 100%. Yep. I love it. So – uh, one thing we talked about very, very beginning 
and I, I wanted to circle back to it, is kind of running through a, a practical step-by-step encoding, as it were, of of how you use a memory palace. So so let's just do something right. So speaking of phones and devices, right. okay, shouji in Mandarin, shouji. right? Shouji. Yeah, yeah. So, so how, if someone's brand new to Mandarin, for example, and they want to remember that word, so they want to remember that that third tone, first tone, shouji, it means cell phone. Yeah. Run us through that if we we're going to put that into a memory palace or make mnemonics for so it. The first thing I would do is have a memory palace. Okay. Right? <laughs> yeah. Step one. And <laughs> to have a memory palace, I recommend you draw it out. Why do I recommend you draw it out? Because if you just load your mind with, oh, now I'm going to see this room that I'm in as my new memory palace then you could be stacking the chips against yourself. Mm. But if you just draw a simple square and then you say, I'm going to start here and that makes the most sense because it's going to let me go over here and then over here and then over here and then there's the door and I can exit. Well, then you don't wind up going, well, now where do I go? Mm. You now have given yourself a path for the next word and the next word and the next word. Now you're going to start with station one and you're going to say, all right, I have this in my mind. I'm holding it in my mind. Maybe you're even looking at the paper in the beginning. Uh, when you're just starting out, you're looking at your own drawing of your memory palace, this mental representation of space. And then you're going to go, okay, so shoji, uh, I, it starts with an SH sound. So what do I know that starts with an SH sound? Well, Shannon, uh, I think there was a GI Joe toy that was like snowstorm or something and he, or shadow storm. That's what it was. That's why I'm thinking of him. And so I might have him there and he's, oh, he's going to show me, or he's going to show Jeeves, the uh, ah, okay. the butler from the Jeeves and Wooster thing, I think. Um, whatever, something like that. And, you know, if you don't know Jeeves, then you might think of something else, like a Jeep or something, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have these near associations interact. And so it can be that, you know, this ninja, whatever his name was, Snowstorm, Shadowstorm, whatever it was, he's the guy who comes to mind, gives me that SH. He's going to be throwing Ninja Star cell phones at mm. this Jeep or at Jeeves or whatever. And then we're done. We move on to the next one. We don't have to worry about whether we're going to forget it or not because we want to stretch. We want to go back and say, what the heck was happening there? Mm-hmm. And then we're going to go, oh, right. It was that G.I. Joe guy. I don't remember if he was a snowstorm or a shadow storm, but oh, yeah, right. Shh, right. And so now, and what was he doing? Oh, he was showing some ninja stars or whatever it was. Uh, what was he showing them to? Oh, to a Jeep. All right. And so you might end up doing something and this has happened to me and it's happened to lots of people who use mnemonics. You might go call it like show Jeep, but it's pretty rare. Actually, your mind usually knows how to, how to correct it. Then if you want to add the tones, one, one, you say it is um, uh, three, three, one. Yeah. Oh, is it three, one? Okay. So I'm not even saying it correctly here. Um, Shoji. Then we're going to um, have 31, which for me is made, which is the, uh, the, I often use the Mad Magazine mascot who is dressed as a maid just in my sort of system because three is M and one is a D or a T. And so now we can throw that in and, and memorize it. Um, is this, this is pegging. Is that the – am I have that right? What's the – the number system is called – no, majors, majors system. Is that's that the right? – it's the major system built into a zero, zero to 99. Okay. So um, you can call it pegging. Again, this is where there's I know the terms the abundance are, of terminology. Yeah. Some people will call this, you know, using the major system. Some people call it a number peg system, alphanumeric yeah. system, etc. Doesn't really matter as uh, long as you figure out how to use it, right? Yeah. I just want to 
obviously all this stuff will be in the show notes for listeners. I just want to make sure I have the right term to link to. So I'm not sending people down, down the wrong rabbit hole, but, um, uh, and, and just to go into that a little bit real quick. So you, in that system, you, well, numbers one through, you know, zero through nine, you're giving each a, a letter, correct? And then yeah. that's used to then create words and images. Um, and then once you get into two digit numbers, then you also have specific images for each of those two digit numbers. Is that correct? Well, yeah, you, you would start with a, a consonant association for zero to nine. Mm-hmm. And there's a pretty standard one. Russians use it a little bit differently, but Emi uh, Perry was uh, a Frenchman who I think was one of the first to codify it. Um, this would be in the 1700s sometime, uh, I think. He uh, put zero as a S or a Z or a soft C, one as a, T, a D or T, two as an N, three as an M, four as an R, five as an L, six as a ch, j, sh sound, seven as a K. Some people use hard G. Uh, eight is uh, F or V and nine is a B or P. Now, once you have that established, which is for some people a heroic task in the beginning, for yeah, others it's loaded, a four, but then it's four minute affair. Yeah, yeah. Um, then what you can do is you can go, okay, great. So now I I know this, and I can just now take any number and just invent a new word. So if um, you have thirty four, I have mayor, right? You can just do that manually every time. But what you can also do is set a system, which is called a 00 to 99 PAO. And so that allows you, you literally go 00. So that's, for me, is uh, Thomas Zaz uh, because of the SZSE sound of his name. You could use Dr. Zeus if you have no idea who <laughs> the founder of anti-psychiatry movement was. Um, <laughs> and 01 then is, yeah. is sad. I know this is one of the problems in teaching it, right? Because I have to, I I have to sometimes come up with multiple explanations because they're like Thomas Zaz, who the hell is that? Oh, right. Doctor Zeus, and then now it's culturally generations, relevant, and yeah, right. He's not Zeus isn't even uh, relevant anymore, and I think Planet of the Apes had a character named Zeus or something. I don't know, uh, but the point is, you got to figure it out on your own. I mean, you yeah. you sort of are on your own with this stuff, but this is how it works, right. and so. When you do that, then, you know, if you say, and it, it's, it, I, I, I don't know why that I don't know what the tones for, uh, for cell phone, but in any case, if you say it's, it's three, one, then I'm just instantly thinking 31, right? Mm-hmm. And now I have an image for that because I've had this, I've had it for years. It's one of the most amazing things in the world. It's a mental workout that you can use anytime. Like you go to the store and you're factoring prices and stuff and you're just remembering prices because you have images for every number that you see. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, images yeah. are a lot easier to remember than numbers is kind of the whole point of all this. Yeah. And the part best the part point. is yeah. we should, we should actually make add a little bit of nuance here. I don't actually see images, you know, it's not, we use the word images, but I don't see anything. I have, I, I don't have it because I don't even think it exists. But there's a condition called aphantasia, yes, which is the lack of a mind's eye. Yeah, and I pretty much have had that. If you accept that it exists, it's just that I don't accept that it exists because images is a word that exists in sure. the mind. Yeah, and pictures are things that hang on walls. Right, but right, right, right. there are going to be a lot of people out there who are going to say, "But I don't see pictures in my mind," and they may not see pictures in their mind because they legitimately don't like I always did, 
or now they don't see pictures in their mind because they've come across this idea of Aphantasia and they're like, yeah. oh, that's me, which is a real big problem yeah. in the world of uh, human psychology. Yes. So Priming. whatever is happening in your yeah. mind, it might not yeah. be an image, but it can be just as effective. There's a, a memory. Let's say, um, let's call it that word. You're having an experience. experience. A mental experience. Yeah. There's a there's an Australian memory competitor who's very good, and she's written a couple of books. Her name's Lynn Kelly. She apparently has no images either, and it mm -hmm. hasn't stopped her from being the senior, top performing memory competitor. So, you know, well, there we I, go. Don't wanna, I don't don't I don't I don't I don't want to draw attention to someone's age, but she she's able to do this at being a, a, a senior member of our our society, mm -hmm. which is even more impressive. Uh, actually, one of my students last year. James Gerwing, as a retiree, won the Canadian Memory Championships. Um, anyway, I'm digressing a little bit here, but the point is, yeah. is nobody seeing images in their mind. This yeah. is just a word that we use. Yeah. It's not it's not a visual skill. It's a multi-sensory skill, right. and you can't reduce it down to a description. It's an experience. Yeah. And actually, going back to Isaac again, that's um, another reason that that method or any kind of really story-based, I think, mnemonic is so much more effective is because it's not relying on visual memory either. That's that's yeah. part of why rote memory doesn't work, right? People, You look at a character, and then you try to commit that to, to memory somehow. You flip it over, and then pff, it's gone. Because it, to your point, we don't think in images. And so you can't remember an image because that's not how we think. But we can mm -hmm. remember stories. We can remember experiences. We can remember past experiences that were then connecting with new information. Um, I think that one of the reasons why we can remember stories is because stories are inherently spatial. Interesting. I never thought of that. Yeah, right. I, I think they are. Right. And they are also just as subject to primacy and recency as anything else. So you probably had that experience. End. Yeah. Yeah. You've, you probably had that experience. Someone's telling you about a movie and they're like, in the beginning, this happened, this happened. And then they get all jumbled up in the middle. Right. And and, and then they go, oh yeah, but the way it ended was amazing. And then they can tell the ending quite yeah, accurately yeah. as well. And that's because the forgetting curve guarantees that, yeah. you know, the, the middle will fall out. So that's why you have to the go to the bathroom there. a few times. And then you have yeah, more, that too, that more too. middles and end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's so much to it. Anyway, we've known this about space for a long time. Thales, who was the first philosopher and scientist, he's got those uh, those considerations about him. He said, Megaston topos hopantagar kori, which in ancient Greek means something to the effect that space is ultimate because it contains all things. And I think that was quite central to to the uh, preservation of the memory techniques in the Western tradition um, was that philosophy was story-based in the beginning. And there's a lot of spatial considerations, the whole thing we use to this day in the first place, you know, it sort of comes from rhetoric, logic, and so forth. They were thinking of their memory palaces when they were memorizing their speeches and, and their rebuttals and so on. So, mm. and they would tell, they would use stories as mm -hmm. part of making arguments. It, and another part of that, which I I remember now my conversation with Nelson Dellis is when he talked about his memory palaces and going back and reviewing things, part of what made it, it wasn't just that it was effective. It wasn't just that it helped him remember stuff. That's obviously a great pragmatic advantage. But what he 
what he really loved about getting into becoming a memory champion and doing all this stuff was he got to go then relive his childhood. He got to relive houses he used to live in. He got to, you know, re-experience all these wonderful things that had all these emotional connections that otherwise he probably never would have revisited the same way. And I thought that was such a beautiful advantage that I never had, it never occurred to me that this, this is like, you get to go watch the, your favorite movie yeah. about you <laughs> and about things you've done and, and places you've been and people you've loved. And I, I just thought that was really beautiful. It's true. And I hear from a lot of people who don't think they can do that because they don't have such nice memories of the past, which mm-hmm. I can relate to because I, I don't, necessarily have such nice memories of the past either Mm -hmm. but this has been a great way of healing it and that goes back to some of tim dogleish's research is you know actively using a memory palace to choose good memories that you do have Mm -hmm. and that can help so to speak overpower negative ones that you might have uh and and be a bit therapeutic yeah it i also wonder now that you say that part of I think what keeps some memories that are traumatic traumatic is they haven't fully been processed or healed. And so right. I also wonder if as painful as it would obviously be going back into some of those painful memories and, and reliving them and even using them in some of your, your memory palaces would, would give you a chance now as a more mature, fully formed adult that didn't, you know, as a child, maybe when that thing happened, didn't have the tools yet. And you probably, as we tend to do as children, we, we, we make it all about us and we think that it's our fault or that it's something we did when in fact, no, they were just an alcoholic or they had their own things going on with, with whatever. I, I wonder, who knows, this could be a whole, <laughs> maybe there already is stuff like this going on, but using, using these techniques as a, as a therapeutic healing, you know, a trauma centered um, process of, of reliving them in a, in a controlled um constrained way i don't know oh yeah there 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 are things going on in that direction and Mm. you know obviously people should should seek proper counsel and not necessarily put themselves under duress yeah let me me be clear i'm not saying go out and do this on your own with yeah i i'm not a doctor and i don't play one on the internet just yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i have done it to myself and it 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 is strangely useful i mean Mm. some of the sanskrit the only Images I could come up with for things were, uh, in particular, one ex-girlfriend because, mm. you know, it, it, she just says nah a lot and that comes up in the Sanskrit a lot. And uh, now, you know, it used to bother me and I, oh, too bad this and all that sort of stuff, right? And uh, it was a particularly troubling relationship, but it's mm. all cleansed, mm. you know? Uh, so it, it, there is something to it for sure. And I don't, I don't think of her at all anymore because that's the other beauty of the technique is you don't need to remember what I, – I don't remember most of what my mnemonics are. Um, I, to explain them, I often just have to come up with new ones because that stuff goes away. It's the core information that, that tends to stay. Which, yeah, again, I guess is the whole point of this is you're not trying to remember mnemonics. You're trying to remember what the mnemonic points to, right? right, right. And then, then they fall away, yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. but just to kind of argue the other side a little bit, you can always, at least I find that, like with my story mnemonics for particular characters, if I, if it's been a while, if I haven't practiced Chinese or Japanese for a while, and I do I mean, maybe forget some things, um, or there's a whole other conversation, but I don't really think you forget. It's just that the jungle grows over the path, and you just have to kind of, it's still there underneath 
it's just kind of been cleaved away a little bit. But I will then remember the mnemonic that I had created 20 years ago or whatever, and it comes back a lot faster that second time. I use it for right. a few reps, and then, it, and then it fades away again. But it was still there. It just had to be kind of brushed off and whew, had to blow the dust off of it a little <laughs> bit. You know, right, right. It's pretty amazing. Oh, that's great if you have that effect. Um, many people experience it different ways, and it, it's – it's just a beautiful tradition and it's something to, to really get into. And what I love the most is when people go beyond just the technique and then they start to learn about the history. They, they learn about some of the pains and troubles that people went through to preserve this tradition, which, you know, could have been destroyed and there were attempts to destroy it. Well, writing, uh, right. I mean, when, yeah, the advent yeah. of writing almost, you know, kind of sealed that coffin pretty well. Cause people thought, why do I need to even bother remembering anything? We can write it down. Oh, well, writing actually accelerated the need to memorize and not reduce it. Same thing with internet technology. Uh, ah. I'm referring more to some of the attempts, you know, with the, I don't know the whole story, but the the problems between Protestantism and Catholicism. And then there was something called Ramism, which was that all learning should only come from logical connections and diagrams and there should be no images whatsoever hmm. uh, none and he was quite successful in his era as a sort of antidote to Giordano Bruno's associative memorizing when you would use symbols and some of those symbols were a bit risque and uh. because Bruno also had some ideas about pantheism that essentially we would call non-duality now. Mm -hmm. uh, he wound up being burned at the stake. Mm -hmm. um, but nonetheless, his creative associations won out. And uh, thankfully, he preserved them in books that we still have. And we can talk about you wow. know this wonderful tradition. And yeah, he went through hell. I had to, no idea. To... I didn't know any of that. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Know there was no, this... They tried to stamp out thinking in images. Uh, and it's a, it's a very interesting experience story. associations. Yeah. Yeah. To go back to what yeah, I was yeah. before. Um, so we're getting near the end here. Um, if somebody wants to get more into these memory techniques, if they want to really, you know, give it a go, um, where should they start? What are, what are like the literally first baby step they should do? Well, get a book or a course from somebody who makes sense to you. The teacher really matters, you know, and uh, I don't know who's the right person for every single individual. But what I would say is that that person will give you one kind of boat and it'll take you to one kind of island or maybe a couple of kinds of islands. You'll never know, though, if you don't stick with that one teacher for a sufficient amount of time to truly understand what they're saying and put it into practice. So. Uh, I think you would find this, you know, we mentioned Daniel Coyle today. Uh, I think you would find that uh, 90 days is pretty much a minimum of practice mm -hmm. of a particular thing. And then what you want to do, and you want to do it uh, with with hopefully great success already, get another teacher and stick with them for another 90 days to really start to understand this. Or you'll be like some people are, and they're like, that's it. I'm good. I know mm -hmm. mnemonics. Mm -hmm. uh, but Hopefully, my wish is, and it's the foundation of all my work, is not to treat this as, hey, this is the thing, but rather there's a whole world here with many people who experience this in many different ways. You know, you can listen to a couple of episodes with Nelson Dellis on my podcast. He's even guest hosted my show, uh, which is incredible to, to have that honor. And I, I just 
am a promoter of these techniques. I happen to have a particular training, but really what's a deeper concern for me is that people actually study it in a way that they're going to get results. So one teacher, stick with it for 90 days and then add some more because one is actually the most dangerous number and you will never know what you don't know and even have a, a taste of what's out there if you don't progressively add more. So I hope you become a fan of Memory Techniques for Life. Right. And uh, I sort of run my stuff like a church meets a university, and uh, we worship at the Temple of Recall, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> and there are sins and there are yeah. uh, virtues and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, yeah. Anthony, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful chat. I, I could tell we could probably go on for 12 hours and follow keep pulling threads and tangents upon tangents so we'll have to do a round two one of these days and yeah that'd be great uh, yeah i'll definitely i'll include links to your stuff in the show notes and also anthony has a podcast as well so definitely check that out if you're listening to this podcast and you like getting new ideas into your into your head through your ear holes then that's a great place to start too and uh yeah awesome and good luck and uh yeah one of these days once these uh quarantine ends and you're maybe one day i'll get down to you're in brisbane right i am at the moment yeah yeah, yeah. We'll <laughs> come give you give a visit so that'd be great cool man thank you so much thank you so much all right we'll be in touch thank you very much for listening to the show for show notes go to languagemastery.com slash show and there you can get links to any of the resources that we mentioned any of the concepts we talked about also, if you enjoyed listening, I would greatly appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen. Go ahead and leave an honest review. Helps more folks find the podcast and helps keep us going. All right. Well, that's it for this week. We'll see you next week. Take care.